ride with me in my foul life. What's up, podcast world? We're back to foul life, and here we are again, another episode of the 2021 Wild Foul Magazine Giant Gear Issue. The Bible of duck and goose hunters. And I don't say that lightly. We've talked about it here a lot. If you don't have this, you can't really be serious about duck and goose hunting. And of course, I'm kidding when I say that, but you got to get your hands on one of these because Skip Knowles, our co-host today, he's back and his crew have done another incredible job of laying out stories, instructional photography. And then you get to the gear section. And today we are talking about what? I just, I'll just go ahead and do it. Chad Mendez, you're on here. Flex your arms, please. We're talking about what? The gun show, baby. The gun show. We are talking about the gun show. And on today's podcast, I just mentioned one of them, but we do have our co-host, Skip Knowles, editor-in-chief of Wildfowl Magazine, the one and only Skip Knowles. How are you, my brother? Doing very well, man. We're getting close to the season. I'm pretty stoked, and I've been looking forward to the the Chad and the Chad show for a long time. Ah, that's what this might turn into. George Thompson, product development, Vanilla USA, knows more about guns than anybody I've ever met. George, um, just real quick before we get started, you saw me today in in an awesome, badass, resist-all cowboy hat. Did I look like a rodeo star, yes or no? (laughs) That would be a negative. Uh, hard pass. Hard pass. <laughs> I am going to need you to validate that I look good in a resist all. So resist all really likes me. Are they a sponsor in some way, shape, or form? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in that case, you look great. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. And Chad Mendes, Chad Mendes, fresh off of his appearance, and I always talk about Joe Rogan on this show and on uh, This Life Ain't For Everybody and our other podcasts. Joe Rogan, is he's the man when it comes to podcasting. He brings Chad Mendes on there to talk about his new announcement, his companies he's running. Chad is an entrepreneur. He's a fighter. He's a husband. He's a father. He does it all. He just got off the water catching tuna again down in Southern California. He, he runs with some of the biggest fight names in the country and but his his passion is the outdoors and i know for a fact from talking to him and he has the same exact feeling for me he loves shooting turkeys with a shotgun and a shotgun only chad mendez welcome to the show (laughs) hey thanks for having me again buddy (laughs) (laughs) he laughs at me when i say that every single time chad first off congratulations on your announcement bare knuckle boxing this means that you don't have you got to train hard. You still have to get into the ring, and you got. I know you're training with Joey Rodriguez, the great Joey Rodriguez at Team Alpha Male in Sacramento. But talk to me just for a second. Tell George, myself, and Skip that you don't have to worry about takedowns or defending a kick or a high kick or a or a or a, a choke or an arm bar. This is just straight up boxing, right? Yeah, just straight boxing. This is going to be the first time in my life I've ever competed in just straight boxing. Um, you know, obviously wrestling was my background. I started five years old all the way up through college and then jumped right into pro MMA training. So, you know, it's been what, 11, 12 years or so of MMA training. So I'm, I mean, I've been boxing for that long cause that's part of the, the regimen when it comes to MMA training, but, um, yeah, man, it's just straight boxing. Um, basically we can wrap from, forearm up to the top of your hand for protection here, keeping the wrist solid, um, but your knuckles are exposed. Um, you know, and it's, I know it sounds so brutal, but I mean, if you think about it, I think MMA is way more dangerous. You got, like you said, head kicks coming at you. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have ever been kicked in the head with a head kick, but <laughs> it's like a baseball bat upside. The, I mean, it's, it's pretty much a lights out kind of thing. So um, don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, the, the knees, like I took a big knee up, uh, from Aldo in that first fight with him. And that was lights out for a few seconds. So, um, you know, people tearing ligaments and tendons with submissions and, you know, all the wrestling and all that stuff. But, um, you know, you take an MMA glove off, you really only have probably half an inch of padding, So, I mean, outside of just being a sharper object and probably getting cut, which blood always makes it look way more brutal than it really is, the concussions aren't going to be any different than getting punched with a UFC glove on versus bare knuckle, you know? And so, 
these are all things I had to tell my wife anyways. And, and get, uh, <laughs> do, you know, do you, do you know the location of the first fight? Can you announce it? Uh, Chandler, Arizona is all I know. October 22nd. Um, I'm still waiting on an opponent and, and, uh, or like arena. So this is, well, I'm going to say this. It's my birthday, October 21st. Well, it doesn't go. matter who they put in there with you. You I've seen you box and George and skip. I've actually, been in the gym with Chad in Sacramento, California, and wore one of his hooks to my rib cage, and I had a bodysuit on. And Joey <laughs> Rodriguez, Joey Rodriguez, the bo- a handful. Joey Rodriguez, the boxing coach, guys told me, "Don't do this." I go, "What do you mean?" He goes, "You will not poop right for a week," and I didn't. And he missed the pad on his last shot, and one, a couple of his knuckles made contact with my rib cage and broke my ribs. I ran around the gym like a little girl, little sissy, for about twenty minutes until Uriah Faber sat me down and gave me a talk of how I was embarrassing his gym by doing that. So, but, um. The Chad Mendez mystique, George Thompson, has something in common with you and I. We shared a trip to the southern part of the country known as Argentina, <laughs> shooting ducks down in Argentina with the Benelli guns like they were going out of style. But do you remember that night when we were like in a frantic, uh, like we could not figure out how to get the fight up and we finally figured up how to figure out how to get Chad's fight on. And he was fighting in Idaho that night, I believe. And Chad yeah. won. Chad it was Chad's comeback fight, wasn't it, Mendez? But mm-hmm. we we were watching that fight live from Southern Argentina. Miles yeah, Jury. I remember that. Miles Jury. Yep. You knocked his ass out with a punch, didn't you? Yep. <clears throat> right overhand left. Lights out. Sometimes I feel like doing that to Skip when we're hunting together because he's always <laughs> like, you call too much, Chad. You don't really know how to call the shot. You let him get too close. And you were witness to that, Chad Mendez. But today we're talking about like – our baby, right? This is guns. This is what everybody just loves to put into the the boat, the UTV, the gun case. It's We look forward to getting our Benelli's out. I love Benelli's. Obviously, in the gear section, Skip and his team have done a great job of highlighting all the different guns, the new guns, the models available from all different manufacturers, all different shapes and sizes, 12-gauge, 20-gauge, the revolution of the 28-gauge. Uh, Skip, let's start with you real quick. When you and your team are laying this out, I was going through it, and there are a lot of pages dedicated to guns. Why is this? Because it just seems to be it just seems to be very heavy guns. Is this because you your fascination with them, Skip, or why is there so many new guns on the market in two thousand twenty one twenty two? It's a combination of both, Chad. It's um, it's. Partly the the guy known as the big duck geek <clears throat> should also be known as the big a gun freak. I, I love them, and uh, it's compelling stuff. You never get tired of looking at them, and then the uh, and learning about them. And then the other thing is very much that it's become a crowded market, and there's lots to write about, lots of new ones out there, and most of them are pretty darn good. Do you? In, of all the gear, I'm pretty sure that you're not going to be a successful hunter without a good gun. I mean. I, it's- one thing you have to have, you know, <laughs> decoys, calls, bags, boats, whatever. If you don't have a gun, you're not really bringing anything home. So should have the most number of pages, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I agree, George Thompson. I want to ask you a question, George Thompson, Benelli USA product development. Um, the new guy, the new girl goes into their sporting goods stores. They're at Cabela's, Bass Pro, Shields, Mom and Pop, Independent, Max Prairie Wings. Doesn't matter where they're at. They're at that gun counter and they're asking that associate. I'm a first time hunter. I'm getting into duck hunting this year. Just got my hunter safety. I used to shoot my dad's little 410 or whatever, okay? What if they say, well, I've heard, I looked through this Wildfowl magazine and I see these words printed on some of these models. Inertia driven and gas operated. In a rundown for that associate, George Thompson, give us that in a nutshell of what's the difference and what, what, what would benefits would come out of that for that first time duck hunter? Well, I mean, those are basically your two semi-auto platforms, right? Inertia-driven or gas-operated, it's going to be one of those two. Um, Benelli is is the inertia-driven company. We were the kind of the first ones to do it in shotguns. We've been doing it the longest, um, and we do it best. And we're, and we're going to tell you uh, every day that the inertia system is better, um, and it's better for a couple of key reasons. Uh, number one is the reliability, um, but that's more of a of a result than a than a cause, right? The gun's reliable, 
uh, because the inertia system is so much simpler and it's so much cleaner to, when it operates than a gas operated system. Um, you know, there's less moving parts, less powder buildup. It's just a simpler mechanism that, that ultimately equals reliability. Um, you know, they make good gas guns. I don't, I don't want to say that they're all terrible. They do make some good ones. Um, but, you know, for a new person getting into it uh, that probably doesn't know how to maintain their gun, they should seriously consider an inertia-operated gun because of that fact alone, right? It's going to be easier for them to, to maintain through the course of the season. Skip, <clears throat> you get called out on a lot of projects or assignments, we should say, where you might be hunting one week with a gas-operated gun, and then the next week you're with George and Tony Vandemore at Habitat Flats in Missouri hunting with a Benelli inertia-driven gun. Do you have a hard time with the transition? Because when George said, well, you know, here, here, I'm going to parlay it into duck calling. I try to tell people start with a single read because a double read is going to be more forgiving and it's going to teach you bad habits. And then someday you're ultimately going to want to transition in to a single read to get duckier and more versatile. So why start with a bad habit former? Do, do you ever get into the position skip to where you're like, wow, I'm not shooting this inertia the correct way. It's not operating the right way because I'm shooting it like I was a gas gun. Is there a big difference to you in your, the way that you handle these guns and shoot them, Skip? Between the two styles of gas and inertia, absolutely not. Um, it all comes down to whether the, the gun fits right to begin with. Um, there is a slight difference in the sound and the feel and the recoil. And when you switch from a gas gun to an inertia gun, you get a more chawonk, um feel. But you get used to that instantly, and it doesn't affect your shooting at all. What's really important, and, and uh, George will back me up here, is, is whether there's a good recoil mitigation system within that gun. I've shot some new ones from Turkey that are very well made and reliable. They come on the inertia platform, shoot the same cartridge as the Vanelli. They kick a lot harder. And I even talked to our guns guy about that. Why is it same same inertia style gun with the same load? This one's just pounding the heck out of me. It's not just me. Everyone noticed it. He goes. You know, a Benelli SBE3 has a lot of recoil mitigation systems in it all the way through the stock, and I'll leave that to George to expound on. But the most important thing is having a gun that is feels good in your hands, that fits you, and, and when you close your eyes and throw it up, it's almost right there where you point it up when you open your eyes, and that, that's that's when you're going to hit and when you're going to miss. And I'd like to talk, Chad can speak up about this. He, he mentioned in uh, Mr. Mendez, Chad Warren, he mentioned <laughs> You mentioned in a, the big story that Frank Carreri wrote on about um, how the, like the number one flaw that he sees in the field is not conditioning, calling expertise, hunting knowledge and savvy. Because so many people don't take the time to get proficient with their guns. And this touches on that whole thing. Um, you know, having a reliable gun is fantastic. Having one that fits you well is critical, but maybe practicing and becoming proficient with it is most critical of all. Chad, you you make your living with uh, uh, an art form in the fighting world that you have to train. I mean, I watch you how relentless you are in the gym. I've seen lately you've actually canceled hunts. You've canceled trips, tuna fishing trips. You've canceled a dinner with me that absolutely crushed me and hurt my feelings. But you are you are consistently focused on the task at hand. Parlay that into what Skip just said, Chad Mendez. I've been on several hunts with you in the last few years where we've had thousands of geese on top of us. And there, I mean, we have, I guess if you don't video it, you don't have proof. Well, we do have proof, Chad, that you, we're, we're shooting a lot and these Benelli's are never letting us down. But take what Skip just said, Chad, and parlay that from fighting and training and then training with your gun because you shoot archery, you shoot rifle, you shoot shotgun. You have to be, persi you know, like what Skip said, you have to become confident with these weapons and we owe it to the, the animals, right, Chad? Talk about how we owe it to these animals to be proficient with these weapons so we do harvest them ethically and cleanly. Yeah, 100%. I mean, going into the fight world, whether it was wrestling or jumping into the UFC, for me, it was like, I have to shut so many things off in my life because if I don't, I can't give my full focus and be able to put everything that I know needs to be put in to be able to get in there and be successful. And I basically transfer that over to anything. Like if I have a big archery elk hunt coming up, like obviously I'm practicing with my bow year round, um, I try to get some kind of shooting in daily, 
Um, if I can't, if I have to go out of town and I'm skipping a few days, I come back and I make that up when I come back, you know, going to different ranges, shooting skeet, shooting trap. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the things that I notice a lot. And I, I, I definitely, so every 4th of July, we go to a big family event on one of our friends' ranches and we have a big, uh, trap tournament. And, uh, I always just get my butt kicked out there and it's always just like hits home for me. Like I'm not practicing enough at this point. And it always lights that fire to get back out there and start training and, and using my shotgun a lot more. Um, and same thing with the rifle. I mean, you got to go to the range, you got to make sure everything's dialed. You got to get comfortable. You got to know distances and, you know, where to hold that at, what windage and stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff that goes into shooting a bow, shooting a rifle, shooting a shotgun. And if you're not putting that effort in to get, I don't know, if you're not putting effort in there to, to learn your stuff, to learn your equipment, it's going to pay when you have that 400 inch bull standing in front of you bugling and you shoot over his back or, you know, you got a big, just like you said, that big uh, group of geese coming in and I'm, I'm making mistakes and flock shooting or not doing what I need to do. Right. You know, it's, you got to put the time and effort and energy into becoming proficient with your weapons. And if you don't, it's going to slap you in the face when the time counts. Same thing in the fight world, man. If I don't put the time in and do everything I need to do, I'm going to go out there and get knocked out in the first round. So, um, yeah, it's just all part of it. Um, George, listen to Mendez talk like that about becoming proficient. Talk to Skip and I and Mendez about patterning because now we're talking shotguns, okay? This magazine, the Wildfowl Gear issue that we're talking about, which is unbelievable. I can't tell you how much work has gone into this, but patterning, the shooting system, George, this is a big deal to me. You hear me talk about it all the time from our choke tubes to our ammo to our sights to our Benelli. Um, getting it out and putting it on paper. Now, this sounds kind of weird, right, George Thompson? Like, oh, man, you've been on so many duck hunts. You've done it. You know exactly what they're doing. If they're going left or right or over the top of you or back flapping the decoys, you know what you're doing. Well, maybe I do. Maybe you do, George. Maybe you do, Skip. Maybe you do, Mendes. But talk to me, George, about getting that gun and that shooting system on paper and knowing what that certain shell, let's say it's a three-inch number two, black cloud, whatever manufacturer you use. We have to know this, right, George? Before we go out and actually point this at a live animal and say that we're going to you know, take that animal's life. Yeah, you, you really do. And uh, both Skip and, and Chad hit it right on the head, right? I mean, the first step is, is having a gun that fits you properly. Because if it doesn't fit you properly, you're, you're, you're never going to shoot at your full potential. Uh, and then the other piece is you got to practice with it and get proficient with it. You know, a shotgun for wing shooting uh, is is really a lot more reliant on that aspect than than a rifle, I'd argue, um, because, you know, your eye is the rear sight and how you mount that gun is really critical to it shooting where you want it to. Right. And and, you know, you have to be able to, to have that gun, whether it's sitting in the, the bottom of the the duck blind or you're at a low ready or whatever it may be, you need to get it to your shoulder and, and mount it the same way every single time in order to have the same results every time. Uh, and really, you know, if you're not, if, if you're not going to put the time in and get that level of consistency, it's, you're going to hit some, you're going to miss some, you're going to cripple a lot. Um, you really do have to practice. And, and patterning is kind of the first step in that, right? Patterning does a number of things, um, but it, it, it helps you make sure that gun fits you properly and, and it's pointing where you want it to. Um, we strongly recommend that, that people pattern their guns. Um, there's a whole process for it, you know, 20 yards at a three by three piece of steel, ideally with a hole in the middle and you try and shoot through the hole. What, what a lot of people don't realize is that all Benelli's are adjustable. Right. It's there's not such a thing as this gun just shoots high. No, it, the guns don't just shoot high. You can adjust it so that it shoots where you want it to. But you're not even going to know where it's shooting unless you pattern test it. Right. And then by pattern testing, it, you know, if you need to move that stock up or down. And when you move that stock up or down, what you're really moving is your eye. And that's the rear sight on the gun. So, yeah, totally critical to, to being a successful hunter, an ethical hunter is making sure that gun fits you properly, that you practice with it, and that you pattern test it so that it shoots where you want it to. 
Yeah, I mean, when you hear Mendez say that he's got a bull hunt coming up, a, a big elk hunt, and he's archery shooting, I see him consistently shooting arrows at 3D targets, at block targets. He's he's getting to know that bow. He's getting to know the flight of that arrow. He's getting his release down. He's getting all of his follow through. There's so much that goes into being consistent to where it becomes, I guess, quote unquote, like riding a bite, second nature, if you will, to where when he's hyperventilating and his heart rate's at may, maybe 110 because he's in good shape, mine would be at 180, climbing up a hill and and that bull comes in and you're like trying to hold your, your, your bow stay. You got to practice in all of these situations. Our military and, and our first responders train with heart rate tests and, 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 and hyperventilating and breathing heavy to make sure that when they're running after something or, or whatever, that they can still be comfortable and confident with their weapon. Skip, when you hear this talked about George, you know, when he's talking about shouldering a gun and the, the, the feel of a gun and getting to know it and being consistent with that, what are some of the things that you want to tell your reader to look for, Skip? Is it the weight of the gun? Is it the sleekness and the athletic feel of a gun? Should it feel like a baseball bat or a golf club in your hands? Do you want something that you, when you're looking down the rib, you want to know exactly where your eye level should be? Talk to me, Skip, about what you look for in a gun and what you would tell your readers. Hey, this is what this gun offers. This is what this Super Black Eagle 3 offers. What are you going to tell your reader, Skip? I would tell them a lot of things, but uh, <laughs> so I'm lucky. I'm generic, five eleven, you know, one eighty five. Um, most of the guns I've got fit me, but man, it is so different. I've still had those occasions when I've picked up one that didn't fit, and I'll throw it uh, up, and I'll see the whole top of the rib. I'll see the whole top of the barrel, and I can't get low enough. To, to not, you shouldn't see the barrel at all with a bent rib. You should just maybe see the bead, which you shouldn't do when you're shooting. Um, but, uh, and you can just tell. And what people do, one takeaway I would tell people, try as many as you can. Um, because we'll, what we do is we, we look at the big wildfowl gear issue, pick a gun that's cool, looking, maybe a camo pattern that we love, or we pick it because of it's gas or it's inertia or because of something a buddy told us. Um, most of the guns are really high-end and well-designed, like Benelli's. Um, will we'll fit most people pretty well. If they're between 5'5 five, five and, and, and larger in height. Um, but try as many as you can. Don't just make your mind up on a gun because of how it looks, because of its features or its camo pattern, because of what your cousin Bob said. You know, Get your hands on as many as you can, and you'll feel the difference in ones that were, that were built for you or can easily be adjusted. And when you pick one, you sell on one. Still go to someone like like um, George Thompson, anyone you know who's a true gun expert, and ask them how, how it's fitting you. Is your is your cheek on it in the right spot? Um, are you reaching for the t- the trigger? And there are other things too. A lot of guns have safeties in the front, in the back. Some people don't like to fumble around anywhere near the trigger guard for safety. They want a thumb safety, you know, which some guns have. Um, so get that all sorted. Try as many as you can as the takeaway there. Chad. Um... When you start thinking about the preparation part of the season, it's coming up. Life has other things that it throws at you. We've already gone over this in your training and your in your livelihood. You see that backdrop there behind Skip. You see that gun laying in the corner. With everything going on in your life, Chad Mendez, I mean – Fighting is a different way to make a living, okay? Mike Tyson always said, everybody's tough until they get punched in the face. And <laughs> I, I, I could I could train my – I trained so hard yesterday, even though it probably doesn't look like it. I trained so hard yesterday with my trainer. Like, I was ready to throw up after this trip I was on the road. I, I was so excited to get in the gym. And I know, George, you work out. But, I mean, I'm doing bear crawls and I'm doing jumps and explosiveness drills and all this stuff. But you know what, Mendez? I wasn't – I wasn't getting punched, you know, like when you get hit, it changes all of that, right? Like your, 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 your outlook on that whole day comes into effect of like, man, it's just a hard way to make a living. So when you know, you have that coming up, Chad, how, how therapeutic is what you see behind Skip Knowles? When you look in the corner of your office or on the wall and you see those geese you got mounted or that elk and you see your gun, your Benelli's laying there in the corner. I know you have it dipped in QU and I know that Rob Roberts did a hell of a job for you on that gun. But how does this affect your life? You're this tough guy, right? You're a tough guy. How therapeutic is that Benelli gun in the corner of that room? And does it soothe your soul to see that? Chad, I hope that question makes sense because when I see my guns, I get freaking giddy, man. I get like everything else is out the door. Does this make sense, Mendez? 100%, man. And I, it does. There's so much stuff that I got going on in my life 
you know, we got a two-year-old, we got another baby on the way. I'm, you know, just signed a huge deal. I got tons of media that I've been doing, um, you know, running fins and feathers, helping with American Alma beef and the provider. And, you know, where there's just so much stuff that's nonstop. Like I basically go from one thing to the next throughout the day until it's time to go to bed. And it's, it's so therapeutic. It's so relaxing. And yes, it's something I get giddy about still too, when I know I have something coming up. Uh, in fact, I have a archery antelope hunt in Wyoming at the end of this month. Um, I'm going to go for a two day hunt on my, on my, basically I take two days off a week for body recovery. Um, and I'm going to use those two days as my time to get out there in the field and hopefully stick in a, uh, uh, an antelope. So, um, yeah, man, it's something that I get very excited about. It's my time to kind of step away from everything. You know, I get to kind of, I'll film it myself and, you know, just everything will be at my pace and just shut everything off for a couple of days. Um, and that's something I look forward to so much, man. And, you know, looking at my guns, grabbing my bow, whatever it is, picking out my camo, um, you know, it's, it's definitely something that takes me to a different place in life. And it, it brings me back to so many childhood memories of going out with my dad and my brothers. And there's a special feeling that I don't think anything else in the world gives me. And that's what that is. And it's something that I hold dearly to my heart. And I don't think it's something that'll ever go away. And it's something that I want to pass down, hopefully to my daughter and, uh, you know, maybe son or daughter, whatever we have coming next and, you know, be able to pass that feeling down and make their heart fill and swell with that same exact feeling that I get from looking at that Benelli in the corner or, um, you know, grabbing your bow or like I said, folding some, some camo, something simple as that. Um, and, and just have that heart filled with joy with something like that, uh, and being able to pass that down. So hope, hopefully, man, we'll see. I love it, Mendez, hearing you talk like that. And I know George does too. I know Skip does. George, when we get back to that customer standing at that counter now, and you take everything into perspective that Mendez just talked about, the giddiness, the authenticity, the legitimacy of, and the, the just the therapy that that provides, this lifestyle provides. Let's get down to this magazine, Skip. Let's, I, I've, I've been accused of this before in, in the podcast of having George on here. It came out probably 15 times in our last podcast, George, that you have the Benelli man on there and you're not teaching us anything about the gun. You're not telling us what we're going to get out of a gun this magazine does so much right it gives you a description it gives you a, a, a price of that it might be at retail it gives you the camouflage options that it could become dipped in you know but george what do we need to know about a gun i know that there's the gas and that there's the inertia driven system but what is it about a shotgun that matters george we have to understand this tell our listeners and the wildfowl readers what matters in a gun, what should we be looking for in a gun? Is it heavier the better because it's not going to kick as much? Do we want something that feels fatter or skinny in our hands? Do we want something that has an illuminated side at the end of the rib? Do we want a carbon fiber rib that's raised? What? Tell us what we want, George, in a gun because I haven't bought a shotgun in two almost two decades. It's That's sad. <laughs> but I have a relationship with Benelli to where I get to uh, understand this stuff and the research and development that goes behind it. But tell us what we need when we go to buy that shotgun, George. Uh, you know, that's a great question, Chad. And, and I'd say that you need, you know, two things. Uh, and Skip actually hit the nail pretty much on the head as it needs to fit you well. Um, and, and it needs to be comfortable to you. Um, because if it doesn't fit you well and it's not comfortable, you're never going to shoot it very well. Uh, and then I'd suggest that the, the second thing that you need is a, a pretty high level of confidence um, that you get from a, a reliable shotgun. Um, because the last thing that you want is, is to put the effort in, put the money in, put the time in to get yourself into a, a good situation. And then you have a, a gun malfunction, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the worst thing that can happen in, a, in, well, not the worst thing that can happen in a hunting situation, but it, pretty, pretty bad, um, is, is to have everything go right, except your gun. Um, so I think those two things are probably the most important, right? A gun that fits you, a gun that's comfortable, uh, and one that is, you know, reliable and that you have confidence in. George, let uh, me ask you this then, and I'm not trying to interrupt you, but I have, I gotta, I gotta get a little bit deeper on this. Get deeper. The, the, the theory of jamming. Okay. 
we work our butts off as duck hunters, goose hunters, everything for that moment to present itself like you just made mention of. The mallards commit. Here they come. Get ready, guys. Get ready. Here they come. Get ready. Put your faces down. Don't look at them. Get ready. All right. There. Okay, get ready. Get them. And you come up, and if that click happens, it's the worst feeling in the world. Now, you did say that yeah. other, other dangerous things could happen. We understand that as far as safety goes. But when, when everybody's on key and we've all practiced and we're taking, you know, we're focusing on our safety and everything's there, and that moment presents itself. And I know Skip has been there. I know Mendez has been there. And all of a sudden, something's up. George, what causes that click or the jamming it's the ammo that's coming from the magazine that's supposed to be loading into the port into the action that's going to go into the firing pin's going to be activated with the pull of the trigger and the powder's going to be activated down it's going to send out the bbs through the wad's going to release all of that stuff's going to happen why does it click sometimes what's going on within these guns is it our fault as operators do we not clean it good enough the night before is it the ammo's problem why are we getting these jamming situations you know, as much as I'd like to give you a singular answer, there's really not one. Um, it, it, it could very well be from a variety of reasons. Um, I can tell you from the Benelli perspective, um, since I'm the Benelli guy, 95% of the issues that we see are maintenance related. Um, either their gun's not cleaned properly, it's not oiled properly, it's not stored properly, whatever it may be that's like 95% of the problems that we see. Um, and then of course you have a small percentage which is ammunition related. Maybe the ammo got wet, maybe it wasn't stored properly, maybe it's just old, whatever may be the case. Um, and, and then of course, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're making machines, right? Mechanical objects and uh, we aren't the hands of God. So occasionally you do make one that's not perfect, um, but it, it's a pretty small percentage of the time that that it's a Benelli that has a problem, right? It's almost always operator error, maintenance error, um, or ammunition related. Um, now, you know, it's not the case with every gun, right? Um, but I would probably, you know, knowing what I know about shotguns in general, I, I think maintenance is probably going to be the overwhelming majority of the problems with most of the other premium manufacturers as well whether it's a Beretta, a Browning, a Winchester, what have you. Um, you know, those all make, they all make pretty good guns. I'm not going to talk bad about any of them, but I'd say they probably see the majority of their issues are maintenance related as well. You know, we're not hunting in, you know, range type environments, right? Sometimes it's raining, it's snowing, could be hot, could be cold. You could have had to trudge through, you know, a quarter mile of marsh to get to where you're going. Maybe you're in flooded timber and you're surrounded by water, whatever it may be, you're in conditions that are going to test the reliability of that gun, right? And, and they need to be properly maintained to be able to, to hold up in those situations. Skip, when you hear George talk like that, do you have any advice for your reader, Skip, of all of your hunting excursions? Let's say your gun performs flawlessly that day. What do you do after the hunt, Skip, to make sure that it performs flawlessly the next day? Do we take it for granted that we will? Or are there steps that our readers at Wildfowl can take to make sure that that gun does the exact same performing the next day? Yeah, I'm as guilty as anyone, Chad. Um, you said the number one thing in a gun is, of course, now we're talking about fit and making sure the gun fits you. I've shot some guns and killed stuff with them. And they didn't fit me perfectly, but the number one thing you need is a gun that goes boom, 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 as Phil Robertson said, you know, when you go all the way to Alaska and you, we went three days uh, without a single shot at a King Island. It was the very last day with 85 mile an hour winds and 30 foot skis. When you finally get a shot, you need that gun to go off. And uh, that gets back to practicing and using a system that you're comfortable with. But um, what I would like to ask, I'm guilty as a, as a gun writer and a guy gets his hands on a lot of guns. And, uh, someone who hunts, hunts, has three small kids in the lab and too much going on all the time. I'm very guilty of not cleaning my guns enough. I have a 28 gauge from a, a hunt in Argentina five years ago. I never did clean. Um, and we're all guilty of it. And you're lying. You say you didn't just throw it in the corner at some time. That's why it's important to get the best gun you can. One that goes boom, boom, boom. But I'd like to circle back with George and, you know, inertia guns are cleaner for sure. Um, they don't have smoke blowing through the four stops, so to speak. But um, how much is enough, uh, George? I mean, 
cleaning it really thoroughly or maybe even professionally at the end of the season what my brother-in-law does. He doesn't hunt as much as me. Um, what is enough, George? And I know that it depends on the conditions. Yeah, I mean, it's conditions and, and usage dependent, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, my personal guns, I do a, a detail cleaning once a year on them. Um, when I say detail, I mean, I completely disassemble the thing, uh, clean and, and oil. Um, and then obviously, as you're doing that, you're looking for things, right? You're looking for like a maybe a wear mark that's out of place or, you know, a bent, a bent spring or whatever it may be. Um, and, and outside of that, it, it's 100% conditions and, and usage related. Now, when I say conditions, I mean, did I hunt in the rain? Did I drop a gun in the in dirt? Was it really dusty? Was I walking through, you know, a wheat field and got stuff in it? You know, I mean, that's what I mean by conditions. And if you're in those environments, you should really do at least field strip cleaning every every night, right, in between the hunts. Um, if you're not, if you're in just a pristine, like, range-type environment, you really don't need to clean the gun, but every couple cases of ammo that you put through it. And even at that, it's really just a basic field strip wipe brush put some oil on put it back together um it's not a it's not a cumbersome process you know if, you, if you're doing an evening cleaning in between hunts it's like five minutes i mean you you take the mag cap off you pull the barrel and the forearm off you pull the bolt out you have a rag and you know i mean it's super easy but but on that same note what skip said george can you with as easy as a, a benelli is to dismantle and clean it's fun too. It's like boom, boom, boom. You feel like freaking you're in one of those Rambo movies, right? What is? Can you clean it too much? Can you wear those parts down by cleaning them too much, oiling them no. too much? You can't. No, you you can't hurt the gun by cleaning it too much. Uh, I, I can speak for Benelli specifically. You're not going to hurt it by cleaning it too much. But you did make a comment there that I wanted to address, which is it's absolutely possible to oil it too much. <clears throat> Um, in fact, that's one of the most common maintenance things that we see is people that use too much oil on their guns. Uh, and that, I mean, that's going to work, but ultimately what that extra oil does is it acts like a magnet for stuff, right? Whether it's unburned powder or little pieces of grain or dust, it acts like a magnet. And all of that stuff will get into that oil and turn it into like a sludge that ultimately will hinder the reliability of the gun. Um, so the basic rule of thumb is, look, you can put as much oil on as you want, whatever makes you feel good, but take a rag and wipe it all back off, right? You, you don't need it dripping off of there, right? If you have oil dripping anywhere, that's too much. Um, put it on, wipe it right back Maybe off. Just hold off you didn't too. wipe all the oil off. You just wiped um, the extra off, right? Any oil that needs to be on there stayed on the metal, right? It got into the pores of the metal. Um so yeah, over oiling and use of the wrong kinds of oil, right? Um, how many people have you heard of that that break out the can of WD-40 to clean their gun, right? WD-40 is good stuff. Lord knows I've used it more times than I can count, but it's not a, a, a gun oil. Um, and it might work in some conditions, but when, you know, temperatures change or what have you, that stuff can gum up um, terribly. So, and, and if it sits for a while, it almost gets waxy, right? Um, works great on door hinges, uh, not so much in a mechanical object. Um, so buy good quality gun formulated oil. Um, you know, the default is, is I use break-free CLP for just about everything. Um, to clean it, to oil it, to protect it. Um, it's kind of my go-to, my default. There's dozens and dozens of other really good quality products out there. But as I look over on my gun bench right now, I see a can of Break Free CLP uh, and some some Lucas gun oil. That's what I'm using. Nice little plugs there, George. Did you get new sponsorships? I'm not sponsored by any of those people. It's just a coincidence. <laughs> I mean, it's what I've been using since I was 10 years old now. Mendez, go to let's go, let's talk about instincts, Mendez. You know. Would you have an opening for a high crotch or a double leg? You know when you got an opening for a left hook or a right jab or a cross. You know how to look for those moments because your instincts have taught you that over your career of like, you know, you're going to do this if he does that. Okay. 
Talk to me a little bit about that athletic mindset when it comes to what you and George and Skip and I have been talking about all morning here. That shot's about to present itself. Your hand goes towards your Benelli, okay? You start feeling your way around your stock, and you're starting to be like, all right, there's the placement of my hand. All right, I'm anticipating somebody's getting ready to say, get them. Talk a little bit about that instinctual mindset of how important that is to develop and, and where that comes in. And I'm not saying that every great hunter had to be a great athlete like you are, but talk to me a little bit about instincts in this shotgun game. Yeah, I think, you know, instincts are, are huge in both training, athletic world and hunting. I mean, for me, it's like when I, when I'm standing there in my fight stance and I see someone throwing a jab, my instincts without having to think about it, because I'm already thinking two moves ahead, like what I'm going to do after the reaction, you know, I'm slipping to the outside, throwing a right and a hook, you know, and taking that extra step, that thinking step of, okay, here it comes slip you know, and where it's just a reaction, you're basically that much far further ahead from your opponent. And that's the type of stuff that puts you, it gives you the edge on, on winning those fights or a wrestling match or whatever it is. And I think that same thing translates over into the hunting world. I mean, you practice with your bow or your shotgun or your rifle so much, and you get so comfortable with it that you don't have to think. And I mean, here's a prime example. So I do a lot of guiding and I take a lot of beginner hunters out. And there was a time where I took this guy pig hunting, we get them on a group of pigs that are bedded under a tree at like 40 yards from us. Don't even know we're there. And I set him down, he pulls up his gun and he's just shaking, just, you know, so out of breath, like heart rates taking over. And he has to pull his gun down like four or five different times because he's never been in one of those types of situations where, where he's got to like calm himself and relax and, and do everything that he knows he needs to do, you know, breathing under control, get the crosshairs on him, squeeze the trigger. And so he's sitting there for like 20 minutes and I'm just calming him down. Finally, he pulls up, closes his eyes and shoots and misses at 40 yards. They all take off. And it's like, so obviously he hasn't practiced enough. He's never been in that situation. He hasn't been in that situation enough to have that instinct of, okay, calming down. I'm going to, you know, do everything I need to do, go off the checklist basically in my head without having to actually think about it and just know this is what I do. I calm myself. I squeeze the trigger dead animal, you know? And so, you know, I think instincts and being able to get in those types of positions to where you know and your body just naturally calms down to where you're already thinking two steps ahead is going to be key both in the athletic world and in the hunting world. So, um, you know, I think instincts and, and being able to train them and develop those instincts with repetition and practice are going to be key for being successful on both sides. George, let me ask you this in conjunction with what Mendez just touched on. I remember when we were, I don't know, two years ago, you were on a bike every day. You were in the gym every day. You were freaking dedicated to like pretty much, I guess, a new lifestyle. Um, we all need to get there, right? Because fitness is so key as we get older and, and keeping our heart healthy and trying to be in the best shape as we possibly can. Because I don't want to, I want to be hunting when I'm 80, like our good friend Les Nesbitt that we all know on here. I don't take it for granted. Mm -hmm. My dad died at 54, I want, I don't want to die at 54. That's eight years. I mean, 50, 21 years away from how old I am right now. So um, George, has it changed? Has it made a difference in your life when it comes to shotgunning, hunting, having that body control, those instincts Mendez talked about being able to get your breathing under control easier. You quit smoking. You did a lot of things that I think would benefit all of this. Has it proven itself to do so? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I was, I tell a story all the time about many years ago, uh, Fat George was on a sage grouse hunt and, uh, and he, I basically had to sit down on the side of the mountain and, and tell him to leave me there. Cause I had no wind left. I was done. Um, I, there was no way in that situation, if a bird had presented itself that I, I would have been able to effectively, you know, take it. Um, and, and so you know, the difference between then and now is now I'd run up that hill and still be able to, to do it, right? Having a, a certain level of fitness, you know, it, it may not be required for every hunting situation, but it, it, it's going to help you in every hunting situation. Um, you know, and, and, you know, fitness is one side of it, but the, the, the practice and the, and the being able to be consistent, it's, 
all three of those things have to happen. I agree. And let me touch on something here too, because you brought up a point, not every hunting situation will require being physically fit. And you got guys like Cam Haynes who are running marathons daily. And there's a lot of hunts that don't require that, but what you're going to pull from getting in the gym or getting outside and going for a run or being consistent with some type of physical activity is when you get in that moment of truth, even if truth, even if you're sitting in a tree stand and a big buck walks out, having your body, having your heart rate trained consistently daily, when that adrenaline dump happens, your body's going to be able to control things a hell of a lot better than if you never, ever get into that type of position. You're, you know, you're going to be a little bit stronger. You're going to be able to think a little bit clearer. You're going to have the ability to kind of get through that a little bit quicker and calm things back down. So even, even if it's not hiking 15 miles up a hill to go try to kill a bull elk or, you know, whatever on a cheap hunt or whatever, I think being consistent and, and being able to work out certain amount of times a week, or if you can do it every day, I think this is all going to be beneficial no matter what hunting situation you're in. So that's always, that's always my two cents. Whenever people want to talk about training and getting in shape for any types of hunts, I say, no matter what, and it doesn't matter what you're doing, it'll help some way. Some that's what I, that's what I love hearing you say that. And I want Skip to talk on it also, but you know, duck hunters get a rap for this. You don't have to be in shape. You could go eat mm-hmm. biscuits and gravy right after the hunt and then go take a nap and then have six cold beers around the fire and have this big gut and, you know, be out of shape. And well, I mean, all, all I got to do is sit in the blind tomorrow. Well, here's the deal. Your ligaments, your joints, your shotgunning ability to shoulder that gun and get it up and to get your breathing right. And I love the part about the adrenaline dump and to be able to manage all of that internally because you have been training some. There's no excuse, in my opinion, there's no better way to live in the world. And I know this sounds soapboxes, but to be fit, that's just not comfortable not to be fit. I don't care who you are. I've been there. It's so much better to put in some hours during the week to be fit and be ready for this. Skip, you're in good shape. Um, Do you agree with what George? and Chad Chad Mendez just touched on about shotgunning and being ready, being better at it because of that that summertime training or that springtime training that you put in in the gym or on the treadmill or stairmaster. Yeah, man, um, it's true that most duck hunters we do get a wrap. We're not we're not generally going to be mistaken for fitness models. But I was telling we had a little downtime a second ago. I was telling them yesterday I was training for an elk hunt on my excited like a little kid on my new mountain bike way back in the backcountry here in Colorado. I looked up at the wrong time on a real narrow, steep trail and I uh, hit a rock about the size of a, of a grapefruit with a front tire. And it was just enough to bottle me the wrong way to the downhill side. And on a downhill steep, you can fall forever. And it was all rocks. It could end in my hunting season right there. But because I'm, I got halfway in shape this summer, as I started to go, I leapt off the bike and grabbed it. And I lunged towards a tree limb that was hanging there. I managed to hook it with just one hand with my little girly forearms and break my fall and swing back to and land on my falling bike. But I mean, I didn't go 15 feet downhill tomahawking. I got a sprained arm today, but I didn't, didn't get a look at my collarbone yesterday. And I was talking to Chad, um, Mr. Mendez, Chad one, um, about whether, you know, he's freakishly muscular as Frank Carreri described him in a big story in our magazine. Um, but I asked him to talk a little bit about uh, when sometimes when being in shape has made a difference for him in his uh, many different um, adventures of feel for big game and everything else. And uh, he had some really good anecdotes that he could share again. Yeah. Yeah. I basically just brought up a story and it's definitely helped in a few different hunts of mine, just being able to grind and push, you know, it's, there was a big buck on, on way the hell up on top of this, this mountain. And there was multiple groups of us hunting public. And we all basically spotted this thing skyline. Like it's, it wasn't like it was very well hidden. So, you know, basically it comes down to who's going to get there first now. And so, you know, I basically gotten that, that mindset of it's nose to the ground and go. And I remember just dripping sweat, just huffing and puffing. You're at altitude. But I was like, I cannot stop. If I stop, I lose this and I lose that buck. And it, it basically just kind of turned it into a competition, you know? And so I never stopped. I just 
you know, slow and steady, just all the way up. Like I said, dripping sweat. By the time I got up there, all my clothes were completely soaked. But I remember looking over and down and seeing these people having to stop multiple times on the way up. And I ended up getting the buck. And for me, it was kind of like, you know, I, I, being a fighter, being an athlete, being a wrestler, I never really had to specifically train for a hunt outside of when I retired. And about a year into that, I'm like, God, I'm going to have to start getting in shape for these hunts because I'm not training like I used to. Um, but before that, it was just like, you know, I was thankful that my job consisted of going to the gym two, three times a day. And that was just my job. So that translated into the hunting world. And that was one of those times where it just rolled over, thankfully. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've definitely had a few of those times where, you know, you're looking at something, you're like, oh man, this is going to be a super difficult yeah, amen. Uh, stock or if we do kill this thing, it's going to be a long night of packing and hiking, but, um, it was, it's never ever deterred me. And that's always been a goal of mine to just never get into that position where I see something, my target animal, and I turn it away because I'm afraid of the work load that's going to come after. And I've been with people on hunts before helping them or guiding them. And they're, you know, they just don't want to do it. They, they see an animal and oh, it's going to be too difficult to get down there and get out or uh, that's too high up there. I just, I can't get up there. And so we turn away, we have to pass stuff, you know, and it's, it's crazy to me. And I, I just don't ever want to get into that position. So I'll do whatever it takes to be in shape or have the mindset, which comes from training to have the confidence of knowing that I can go anywhere and do anything out there in the field. And I love this talk because we are talking about the gear issue today, Skip and George. And having Mendez on here to give this perspective on it does this for me. Um, Shotgunning is important to me, the safety of it. I'm taking a big responsibility, guys and girls, of aiming a gun at an animal. We have dogs that could get in the way if they're not trained right and they're breaking. We have other hunters around. We have different placements of our gun in all different situations. Is it in a ground blind in a pea field in Saskatchewan pointed at our feet because we don't understand how to, where to put the muzzle? Is it falling off of a rack in a, in a, in a flooded rice pit blind because it slides down because the right magnet magnets like our friend Vandemore touched on aren't there or the right gun holders aren't there? Or are we, are we in a different apparatus of like standing up against flooded timber where we're consistently taking our gun on and off of the hook because we have a shoulder strap on it? Well, does it get hung up on that hook? Are we grabbing the trigger? Are we touching the safety off too? soon all of this comes into mind and me and i think about how much better it is to be conditioned to be instinctual because we're not dealing with something that can be taken lightly or for granted here and how many different situations or scenarios are we in as an american waterfowl hunter i know there's waterfowl hunting all over the world but in america we walk through mud we get out of boats. We're in knee-deep mud. We're in current. We're on slippery rocks. We're in a pit blind. We're laying on our backs and having to use our core and our abdomen to sit up and shoot. And then once we sit up, we have to use our core and our trunk to twist. You can't tell me scientifically that you can do this better than somebody that has trained for it and has more mobility and flexibility and, and comfort with that gun. And in all of these different scenarios, because in any given season, George, me and you together have been in so many different on our back, you know, standing up continuously, continuous times from a, a pit blind. That's hard on the knees. The quads are in shape. Your glutamus maximus. I have a nice butt, in my opinion, for a duck hunter, and I want to keep that. I want to be able to train to where all of these, all of these different scenarios, Skip, keep us thinking like this. Think like an athlete. Be an athlete out there. Get in shape and see how much better you feel when you're when you're turning your trunk different ways and getting that lead and being in the most important part and this is where I want to end and I'm sorry for being long-winded George is follow through you have to shoot all the way through the pattern right George how many people do you see just stop their gun because they think oh the BBs are going to be there no <laughs> that's not the case you get out in front of them you lead them and then you follow through when I watch Chad Mendes shoot his bow he's always following through and letting his bow drop out of his front hand on the hold there, the, there is a proper way to train and being in shape makes it so much much 
more enjoyable. And here's the deal. Your success rate's going to go up. And I'm not (laughs) saying that Billy Bob down in Arkansas that has been out of shape his whole life isn't going to kill all the ducks that he has. I'm just saying I feel he's going to enjoy it for many years to come shotgunning and being able to read many more editions of the Wildfowl Gear issue if we do train a little bit. So I didn't want to turn a shotgun conversation into we got to look like Chad Mendez. We don't. But training makes us better. Can we all get an amen on that? Please, Skip. Amen, for sure. No, I agree, man. I agree 100%. There's, you know, we're not here to preach, tell everyone you have to get a six pack. You have to run like him every single day. You know, that's not what we're trying to say. It's just a little bit of a motivational bump here. And and I will tell you 100% that if anybody, especially someone that has not ever worked out, your life will improve tenfold just by getting a consistent workout system or setup gone, going. And you're, you're going to feel better all around mentally, physically, you're going to be better. You know, you, you're going to start getting more proficient at, at things that you're doing. Obviously the training and practice of that stuff comes with the two, but I'm telling you all around, you will feel better. I've never met one human being on earth that starts working out and says, Oh God, I feel horrible after, or I wish I wouldn't have started doing that. You know, not one single person. So uh, it's just a little motivational bump. Like I said, we're not all sitting here trying to soapbox it and tell you, you got to be 2% body fat and be able to run a marathon a day, but getting something started and going is, is going to make improvements. And I don't, and I, and I'm not a huge guy that a huge proponent of social media personally. I know that we do it because it's part of marketing these days, but there is some influence and inspiration out there watching Chad Mendez daily do what he does, whether it's his core training, his quickness, his fast twitch. I watched David Groggins this morning, that stuff he was doing, holding up with those, Mm -hmm. those kettlebells and doing, he gave a whole speech doing an ab workout today. And I'm like, he's still going. I'm like, this has got to be Photoshopped. He's still going and he's still talking. And I'm like, he's a freak, right? He's a a military guy. So thank you to guys like Chad Mendez and Groggins that can inspire us. If you don't feel inspired from this podcast, go out and get inspired yourself. Get out and do what George did two years ago. When I saw George uh, that shot show, I'm like, that's not George. I mean, it was like a freaking completely different human being. And he said, I feel freaking great. And you know what was awesome about it? is that it was instinctual now. He's like, I'm not going to get a beer after the shot show's over. Before I go to dinner, you know where he was? He was in the gym at the at the Venetian working his ass off to keep it because it's consistency. It's routine, just like hunting, instincts, being routinely sound. Skip, we've done it again. We've had a conversation that doesn't just have to be, well, this is the best gun in the world. There's a lot of good guns out there. I choose Benelli because Benelli refuses to let me down. They don't let me down. When that opportunity presents itself, the 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 construction and the engineering and the perfection of a Benelli, their slogan is simply perfect. They are, they're simple and they're perfect and they don't let me down. That's why I choose Benelli, but whatever gun you choose, choose to do it different this season, get out there and get in shape, check your heart rate, figure out your breathing. Can you get your heart rate down before you squeeze that trigger? Are your abs able to pull you up in a ground blind and see those mallards and pick one out cleanly and shoot it and, and ethically harvest it? Do it different this year. Just try it. And then you'll know what Mendez is talking about, that you're not going to want to go back to the mm-hmm. old days. I promise you. This has been a great conversation. Skip, do you agree? And I did want to say this about Skip before you talk. For our listeners out there, you are going to hear a weird sound coming from his office. It is his chair, ladies and gentlemen. It creaks and makes so much noise. George, if you don't mind, reach over to your gun cleaning bench over there and send him some of that break free. <laughs> Please do that today. <laughs> Skip, Skip, while sitting ex- perfectly still, talk to me about how you feel about today's conversation. Oh, I just love it. That's so funny about the squeaky chair. It's part of the, the other safety conversation we should have is hearing protection because I don't even really notice it anymore. But yeah. I, <laughs> I it with some Remington oil in it, and it, uh, I hit it in the wrong spot. It didn't go away. But um, it's been a great conversation. I love. I I don't get sanctimonious about fitness, and I'm not going to be mistaken for a fitness model anytime soon either. But um, duck hunts have a sneaky way of getting physical. You can go to a honey break, highbrow lodge, walk from the lodge and step off the dock into the boat, one step into the blind that happens. But what also happens a lot is slogging around in deep mud, um, with, uh, heavy bags of decoys and a gun, and maybe you have to have a hand on your dog or help a kid. And yeah, we've all gotten red faced out there and you're just going to enjoy it more. If you get halfway in shape, even, uh, even just shooting can be exhausting. I was in a competition in Italy testing out a $20,000 over and under with two older guys 
who, who were not um, in very good shape, but they were better shots than me. They were kicking my ass at first, but in very short order, about 40 or 50 um, rounds in, you could tell they just got tired from the shooting and they started missing and I didn't. I blitzkrieged right through and won, even though I can't follow simple directions. Um, <laughs> didn't play the, the little mini tournament right, but I just say, yeah, get out there and get halfway in shape. Pick a way to work. I hate jogging. Pick a way to work out that you have fun. I love mountain biking. And, and then, then it's not so much work. And, and we didn't even touch on what it does for you mentally, too. Mm-hmm. We have uh, three small kids. And if my wife doesn't get her mountain bikes in, it's very evident in short order. So um, <laughs> that way of getting uh, of getting physical. And, uh, you know, we don't have to be Chad Mendes, but if we get halfway there, it'd be pretty great. But you know what's awesome about Chad Mendez is the uh, is his humility. He's uh, one of the most humble human beings. He lives through humility. I've never seen a guy that, with his credibility and his fame and, and celebrity that walks into a place and literally accepts everybody as friends and makes fast friends. Never ever treats anybody like he's ever done anything and he's done a lot and I love that about him I love that he's on here he took time out of his busy training sessions and schedule to come on to the wildfowl gear issue podcast George when you get to see somebody like Chad that is affected by this lifestyle the way he is I mean this dude whipped Conor McGregor's ass on a 10-day note if he had had a full fight camp Conor McGregor's name is probably never mentioned again. It's Chad Mendez, but he took it on 10 days. He had fight of the year against Jose Aldo. He's a, a badass, but look at what hunting does to him, George. In it, Take us out, George, with your final thoughts on this lifestyle and how cool it is to see what hunting does to people of all shapes and sizes, all sexes, all different walks of life. Isn't this special, George, to be an American hunter? Uh, you know, it really is. I mean, that's that's the thread that, that kind of brings folks like us all together, right? We, we're all very different. We have different interests, different jobs, different education, family lives, whatever it is. But you put us all in, in a duck pit together and we're kind of like four of the same guys, right? I mean, that's what really makes this special to me. I love hearing you say that, George. And Chad, I don't know if you can see this, but George is a man of many talents. And he was actually texting me while he was talking and the text says, do you think you could please have Mendez show his abs before we get off of here? Chad, will you take us out? Chad, will you take us out with just the eight pack? Show us what no. you're working with. No. Building's <laughs> always trying to get those on his photo. That is the right answer. Oh, guys, I truly appreciate it. I'm so excited for the season. You know why I'm excited? Because I get to talk to you guys. I get to see you guys. I love, if you guys watch the episode of Mendez and I and Dan Henderson, who George, you've hunted with the great Dan Hendo Henderson. He says, I've never met anybody that has a left and a right jab. And he just, (laughs) he starts going like this. Cause I said, I have a great right and a great left jab. And he's like, I don't know anybody that has a great right and left jab. So he's like, it's, it's those, it's the humility and the fun and the camaraderie, the experience and the story guys. It's not about the pull of that trigger every time the shotgun is very important to us, but there's so much wrapped around that shotgun. That shotgun brings us together because it is the end result. We have to have it to be successful in the duck blind or the goose pit, but there's so much wrapped around that, that I hold and I cherish that people can't take away from me, whether it's Mendez throwing me in the mud on a snow goose hunt with Rocky Merlot, whether it's skip looking at me and saying, do you think they're going to come into this hole in the flooded timber of Arkansas today? Or whether it's George looking at me and saying, I'm going to kill you if you don't call the shot when they're that close again, because Mendez, (laughs) as you know, we had mallards landing on our blinds in North Dakota, literally landing on our blinds. I'm not, they were walking on our feet and George was literally red faced and ready to kill me. But it's those (laughs) memories that I hold and I cherish. And it's this magazine right here, guys, that starts that off. It's the Wildfowl Gear Issue 2021 for the 2021-2022 season. Skip Knowles, you and your team have done it again. The gun section is established. It's unbelievable how thorough it is. And I wanted to show this. I've waited until the gun issue to show this, and I'm very proud of it. Lee Jost called it the Mount Rushmore, which I don't consider myself Rushmore, but I am humbled to be with Phil Robertson, the great Duck Commander, Tom Knapp, and the great Tony Vandemore, on the new print ad for the Benelli Super Black Eagle 3. That's cool. Uh, it's unbelievable to even be mentioned with these three guys. Tom Knapp's the best shooter I've ever witnessed live. Phil Robertson is the man. 
And Tony Vandemore, I don't know if you're ever going to find a guy that is more established in waterfowl hunting from mallards to Canada geese to snow geese than him, the owner and founder with his partners, the McCauley brothers at Habitat Flats, Missouri. It's a privilege to be on this podcast with you gentlemen. Thank you all very much. Everybody be safe with their shotguns. Figure it out. Get in shape. I'm telling you, there's not a better way to live than to go out and call a duck in and shoot that duck and then put it on a table and cut the breast meat out or pluck it and then put it on a Traeger grill and serve it to your friends and family. There's just nothing better in the world. Some people might say it's better with wild turkey or elk backstrap. I'm taking a duck or a California rice-fed speckle belly goose. And I'm going to shoot it with a shotgun. I'm not going to apologize for it. And I'm going to feed it to my friends and family. We are providers first and foremost. Thank you all very much. This has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast 2021 Wildfowl Giant Gear Issue. Our, our guests today were Skip Knowles, George Thompson, Chad Mendez. Look all of them up. Follow Chad Mendez at Chad Mendez on Instagram. It's very inspiring. Get in there. Don't let life punch you in the face. I won't let Chad Mendez punch me in the face. We gone. <laughs> Tom, Jake, hit that button. This song's called My Foul Life by the great rock band 2AM Logic. Foul.